0: Jonah chapter number 2. Jonah chapter number 2. Thank you, Carrie. What a blessing. Jonah chapter number 2. Look at verse number 3. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Would please stand out of honor and reverence to God's Word. Jonah chapter number 2 and verse number 3. Jonah, the running prophet of God, is tossed into the sea. He is swallowed by a great fish. And here in chapter number 2, we find somewhat of his prayer, something Somewhat of the lines of thought that went through his mind as he was in the belly of this fish. Jonah 2 and verse number 3. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves pressed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple." The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, and the depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me up, brought my life up, excuse me, thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that, that, thou, that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord." And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to speak to you this morning on how to get right with God. How to get right with God. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And I pray that you would reach down and speak to our hearts. I pray that you would break chains. I pray that we would have your praise on our lips this morning. God, I pray you'd be glorified in the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Years ago, there was an evangelistic campaign in the state of Kentucky where the workers were using these little cards, passing them around town, and all the card says was, get right with God. A group of the newspaper boys, the boys that handed out newspapers, got a hold of them and and they would put those on their hats, get right with God. Well, one of those boys befriended a bulldog that wandered up among them. And it was a very friendly dog. And so they uh, began to play with the dog and pet the dog. Finally, one of the boys took the dog over uh, to the evangelist and said, Can can we put one of these placards on on the bulldog? I I guess. Yeah, Yeah, you can. And so he took the placard, get right with God, and put it on the bulldog. And they played and then they went about their way to go about their business. And no one thought much about about the bulldog that had the sign on it, get right with God. Well, uh, during the campaign, the evangelists and planners were interested in all the people that were away from God in the city. But one man in particular was at the top of their prayer list. They were praying for this man and that evening, during the evangelistic crusade, guess who walked in to the back of the tent? It was that man. And when the invitation was given, the, uh, the man got up out of his seat and he came down to the altar and he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To everyone's amazement. And everybody praised God and thanked God for everything he had done in the life of this man. This man had a new countenance of joy. He had a song in his heart and later that evening the evangelist came to him and said, you know, how did all this come about? How did you how did you end up here tonight? And the man said, well, not feeling well today. I didn't go to work. I stayed home and I tried to rest. They tried to sleep the afternoon away, but as I tried to sleep that afternoon, a, a barking dog outside my house uh, woke me up and it just kept barking and barking and barking and And so I decided to finally try to get up and shoo the dog away. Well, as he opened the door, the dog just barged into the house without a moment's hesitation. And the man, taken back by such a large, fierce-looking dog, he began to back up. But as the man backed up and sat into his easy chair, he noticed that the dog's countenance wasn't one of meanness or violence. It was rather wagging dog, a happy dog to be in the room. And so the dog went over to the man's lap and put his big bulldog head on the man's knee. And right above the, the dog's head were the words, Get right with God. So I decided, the man said, to come down and do that very thing. And so here I am. Well, God didn't send a bulldog after Jonah, but He did send a storm and a whale and Jonah's been running from God Jonah has not done the will of God he's refused it uh, Jonah said no to God in his heart Jonah put it wanted to put as much distance between him and the will of God as he possibly could and he tried to end up at the very end of the earth a place called Tarsus If there was ever someone in the Bible that was a specimen of somebody that needed to get right with God, it was Jonah. And particularly in the moment that we find him, he's not only thrown out into the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, but now he's been swallowed by a whale and in that whale's belly, no telling how deep in the waters of the sea. If anybody needs to get right with God, now's the time Now's the moment. It's got to happen now for Jonah. But God has sufficiently interested, God was sufficiently interested in Jonah that He sent this whale and and, and to save him from certain drowning. You know, years ago I heard a preacher that said that a RV came after Jonah. And I was puzzled at first. He said, yeah, God sent an RV after Jonah. A repentance vehicle. And that's exactly what this fish was. He was a repentance vehicle. And if there was anybody in a repentant mood right about then, it was Jonah. About the best way we can describe what it takes, what takes place to Jonah in this whale's stomach is that Jonah somehow, some way, in this moment, got right with God. Now you and I, at one point or another, are going to have to do the same thing. If you are the pulse this morning, if you live in this flesh and cast, and I'm going to tell you that in one way or another, you're going to get wrong with God. Either in your sin, in rebellion against God, or post-Calvary, post-salvation, you're going to get crossways with God one way or another. And you need what Jonah gives us in these verses. We're made of the same stuff as Jonah. Prone to refusal toward God, bent toward what we want, and ignorant enough to think that God won't notice. And so here in Jonah's poetic, pathetic prayer, there are three insights into getting right with God. And so I don't know your condition today. You don't know mine. And so let's look at what his condition is. Find out what God says about getting right with God and take it to heart. Number one, the first thing that God wants us to see about... Getting right with God. The first insight God wants us to see is who God wants us to recognize. Who God wants us to recognize? Have you ever heard somebody say, "Well, I'm just trying to find myself." That phrase is usually repeated by some uh, repeated when some sane thinking individual questions the behavior of someone else. They're just trying to find out who they are. I really don't understand that phrase. It's never, really, it's never really struck a chord with me. You have been with yourself as long as you can remember. And if you don't know yourself by now, you need help. There is, there is nothing more to you than you yourself, <laughs> And and so some people would would be able to say, well, I'm trying to find myself. The, The Bible reality is, when we are in the depths of sin, God wants us not to recognize ourselves, but to recognize Him. It was not until the prodigal son was penniless in a far country that he saw his father for who he really was. Seems true with Jonah. Jonah never really sees God for who He truly is until He is in the depths of the belly of the whale. God wants us to see, first of all, His hand. God wants us to see His hand. You know, it's interesting to note that Jonah was not asking, why did this happen to me? Why hell did I end up in the belly of a whale? As a matter of fact, that Jonah, Jonah there is not a there is not a single question in this whole passage. If you'll read chapter two, he never questions God. He never asks him anything. No, Jonah knows full well why he's there. As a matter of fact, when he was standing on solid ground on the boat there, Will you recall back in verse number 12, he said surely, he said for I know that for my sake this great tempest has come upon you. He knew why this had happened. He knew why they were in there. And in verse number 3, look at what he says. For thou hast cast me into the sea. Jonah knew that it wasn't necessarily the hands of the sailors that threw him into the sea. They were the agents of God. They did God's will. They threw him into the sea. He goes on to say, In the midst of the seas and the floods come past about me, and all thy billows and all thy waves have passed over me. No, we could put, the, you know, now now the truth, you know, we could put these words in kind of an angry tone. Kind of gritted teeth. Let's fashion Jonah, our little, our little character Jonah, and put a big bald fist in his hand and say, You did this to me. You're the reason that I'm down here. And we could easily kind of make that out. But it flies in the face with what we read later in the entirety of the passage. This passage reeks of being contrite. Of being repentant and even thankful. And so it doesn't fit with the context. So no, we've got to take this passage and this verse as a recognition that Jonas plunged into the depths of the sea was a cold bucket of water to wake Jonah up. Those floods and those billows and those waves are sent not to kill Jonah, but to correct Jonah. Make no mistake. God does kill people. you understand that? God does kill people. He is no one to be trifled with. But you can also be sure that if you are on the top side of the grave, then it's because of God's gracious hand upon your life. And that you need to get right with the God above. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to see His hand at work in your life. However chastened He is. Whatever, he, whatever chastening he brings into your life, whatever whale's belly, whatever calamity may come in the size and shape of a whale's belly, you've got to realize God's hand's behind this. Notice, not only we must recognize God's hand, but we must also recognize his heart. Five and six, the waters can pass me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds are wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. As we plunge deeper and deeper into the story of Jonah, we find that no matter how deep we go, The heart of God's love, His grace, and His mercy are in endless supply. Now there is no doubt about it. Jonah should be dead. He should be fish food. He should be floating along uh, on the tops of the waters, bloated and food for the carnivores to come by and peck at him. But for some reason, he is still alive. Jonah had every reason to believe that when those men threw him over the side of the ship, his life was over. And as he fell into the water, can you imagine the shock that came over him? Can you imagine as he began to kick against the water, his sandals loosed off of his feet and began to drift downward. Can you imagine his arms groping to try to get to the surface of the water? And they're weighed down by the water-soaked cloak that was still resting on his shoulders. He thrashed to get to the surface of the water. His mind is screaming to his chest to take a breath. But he knows if he opens his mouth, he's as good as dead. His lungs burned from the oxygen being used and needing to be refreshed. Then all went black. You know, after you hold your breath for so long, you'll just pass out. Everybody thinks when two-year-olds hold their breath and they pitch a tantrum, they're going to die. They're not. They're just going to pass out. And their body's going to breathe again. The problem, as we've known in drowning, is that Once you pass out, your body reacts in breathing and all it does is take in water. Jonah here, Jonah has passed out into the water. All went black. I can imagine that as things begin to blur and he begins to have that last conscious thought roaming through the corridor of his mind, this is not what I wanted. I didn't want to be here. I can't believe that this is happening to me. And all of a sudden, blackness. The next thing Jonah realizes is that he takes a deep draw, a putrid, foul breath inside the belly of a whale. He reaches out and feels the slimy walls of the innards of that. Well, that are closed about him he is alive he should have been dead and God had every reason to let him drown but oh the love of God that will not let me go If you would be right with God, then you need to recognize that the million of times that God could have been done with you, He could have let you have it yourself. You could have slipped off into hell or into chastening till your life's breath was taken from your lungs. But God, but God in His great mercy and His love spared you. Can't you see this? Will you open your eyes As the prodigal son and see the father as loving, as merciful. He is not your enemy. He is your greatest ally. Go to him. The greatest God of heaven that sent his beloved son Jesus to die on the cross. In your, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. His hand and His heart. If you're going to get right with God, you need to see God's heart. If you can't see God's heart, you're not going to get right with God. If you can't see His hand, you're not going to get right with God. Second of all, not only God wants wants us to recognize something, but how God wants us to respond. You've got to know how God wants you to respond. You know, today in certain circles, the altar call, is very much looked down upon. We live in a a time in which, oh, we need to go back to the days of Spurgeon. And, you know, it's funny. I, I went to a place the other day and went down a hallway and they had all these great fundamentalists on the wall. You know, all these great fundamentalists down the hallway. And there in the middle of them was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was such a Calvinist. He couldn't have preached in any of those churches. But anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. But many people, ah, we need to go back to the days of Spurgeon where we don't, we don't call people for emotional experiences down at an altar. We need to be reverent and just everybody deal with the things in their heart. Close your Bible and let everybody go home. I don't believe that. Now, I'm not so much in the school as of the Baptists uh, denomination that I believe just like Catholic rituals we have to have an altar call it's just like something you do you gotta do or you, you haven't worshipped God I don't feel that way but the reality is there's something about the altar call that causes people to respond to God it is a call for you to take God's word and now do something with it make vow repent do business with God. Bring your need to God. Whatever the case may be, it tells us to get uh to, to respond to God's word. And that's what I believe those uh those uh altar calls are, are for. This is what uh uh this is what uh, uh what God has said, and you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with it. Jonah saw what God had done. He had saw his hand and his heart at work. But that's not enough. It's not enough to recognize, you know, this is God. He's, he's working them alive. This is God. I, I, I honestly believe, you know, I ought to be dead right now, but God, God's been gracious and merciful to me. It's not enough to recognize this. It is, enough, it is not enough for just to recognize it. We must respond to it. That's what Jonah does. He recognizes, God, you put me here. These are your billows. These are your seas. These are your depths. I've got this seaweed in my head because you saved, you kept me from dying. Notice also, we see we must admit our position. Look at verse number 4. Verse number 4, I skipped that a moment ago because I want to focus on it here. Jonah chapter 2 verse number 4, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah went down to Joppa and he bought a ticket to Tarshish. And when he climbed aboard the SS Renegade, all he wanted to do was to get as far from the presence of the Lord as he possibly could. And in Jonah 2 and verse number 4, Jonah admits he got what he wanted. May not be as far westward as Joppa, I mean, as Tarshish. But it's a whole lot deeper. And there's a whole lot fewer people to hear him down there. He got as far from God as you could possibly go. Plunging deeper and deeper into the cold fathoms of the sea. And just about as far from God as you can get. You know, in the beginning, this is all that he wanted. I heard a preacher preach a message years ago. You got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. That's exactly Jonah's mantra. He got what he wanted, but he lost something in doing so. In the beginning, all he wanted was to get away from God. But now, this is the most terrifying possibility to his soul. He says in verse number 4, I'm cast out of thy sight. I'm scared to death. No one can hear me here. No one can hear me. In verse number 2, he explained, but yet in verse number 2, he exclaimed, The Lord heard me. Look at verse number 2. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my, uh, thou heardest my voice. I was listening to Pastor Mark Shansky, a preacher I love to hear preach, and he's preaching out of this text, and he, he talked about how that he visited Europe, and they were took him to a, a dungeon. I mean, not a dungeon, but they took him to a castle, a, a medieval castle, if you will. And they went for a tour. It was with another family that had been there before. And the dad, the other family said, now, I want to take you down to the dungeon. And the children were like, dad, no, no, that gave me nightmares last time. Oh, yeah, we've got to go down to the dungeon. And so they began to make their way down to the dungeon. And they, they entered this, this small, stone, dark corridor. A spiral staircase that began to go down and down and down and down. You could tell it was getting colder and colder as they went down further. The shadows of flickering lights is all they had as they navigated the stairs. They went down, down. Finally the room opened up. There were several, several rooms off of that that had bars on them. This was the prison. Just the regular prison. This is not the dungeon. They crossed the room into another corridor and again began to go down, down. The corridor got smaller and smaller as they made their way down, down, down to another location. And there from that room they saw a metal grate. And below that they saw the dungeon just a cut out and a hole in the ground basically. Someone had put a skeleton down there for effect, like a fake skeleton. Mark Shansky in his message thought to himself, he said in his message, I thought to myself, if if I were there, as loud as I cried, I would never be heard by anyone, even in the prison. If I screamed to the top of my lungs, my voice would never enter where the king is sitting on his throne. are at your lowest and you are at the bottom of the bottom if you will admit your position God I'm about as far from you as I can get he'll hear he'll hear he admitted his position notice also not only admit our position but acknowledge our condition look in verse number 7 and when my soul fainted within me, I, I uh, in me I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came into un, in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Now, Jonah said that his soul fainted. The word "fainted" here means to be shrouded in darkness, like it. I mean, like physically passed out. I think I've. Passed out, or been knocked out one time, and I don't remember nothing about it. I remember being in one place when it happened, and another place when it woke up. That's kind of like what Jonah might might have recognized. He said that he fainted, that his soul fainted within me. But the word means to be covered in darkness, to be overwhelmed. Jonah's basically saying, "I'm done. This is the end. I'm finished." But when the thought, but then the thought enters his mind. But God isn't done with me. It says that he remembered the Lord. Oh God, I'm at my end. Oh, oh Lord, I can't go any further. Oh God, I'm so far from you, and yet you're the only one that can help me. I should be dead, but you've kept me alive. Jonah's cry rang out. Now to be honest, we don't know specifically what Jonah prayed. There are allusions to in this. But again, I believe that this was written in hindsight. He's looking back on the experience. This is a poem. You don't sit and write a poem when you're in the belly of a whale. You know, you don't sit and pull out, pull out your pen and, and wet it and try to get some goo off the wall and try to write it on a piece. of That's not what happens. So Jonah is re- recollecting this, and so I'm not necessarily sure what he exactly said to God. I, I, sh- I should be dead, but uh, we don't. Uh, we, all he's doing is ringing out his crying. I, I don't know what it might have been, but maybe I could submit this to you. Oh God, help! I've done. Please have mercy on me. Acknowledge our condition. Acknowledge, oh God I need your help. Somewhere in the sloshing inside of that whale's belly he cried out for God's help. You know, for every single one of us, 1 John 1, 9 reigns true. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, you want to get right with God, acknowledge your condition. Acknowledge your position. Finally, access your provision. Did you notice something about this prayer that keeps coming up again? Look at verse number 4. At the end of verse number 4. He said, All thy billows and thy waves... or Excuse me. Verse number 4. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Look again at verse number 7 at the end. My prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Hey, don't that strike you as odd that his mind is on the temple? Now... I want you to imagine something with me, if you will. I Want you to imagine a beautiful spring day in the city of Boston, and it's a few days before the Boston Marathon, and they're going to have a picnic at the at the local park there to remember all those that died during the bombing of the uh, of the Boston Marathon. You remember that several years ago. And so I want you to imagine your mind's eye people down at the park and there's there's all kinds of people there. You notice in a lot of them there are missing arms, missing legs. People that walk with a limp try to hide it. People with prosthetics to try to hide them. These are survivors of that attack. Cruel attack. You you notice there are a lot of children that have been orphaned. Either mom or dad are gone. There's a lot of adults there who... Before this day, although there are smiles, there's a hint of a tear because they lost their child in this traumatic event. But now imagine if you will that during this event while people try to smile and have a good time and yet remember the dead in walks somebody. In walks Dersov Tsarnaev. He walks into the picnic area. He is the very bomber that place the cruel satchel of explosives in the way of the runners. Yosar Yanaev, or Dosar Yanaev, he walks into this picnic and he begins to look around. Can you imagine the reaction of those gathered there? The conversation quietens. tempers begin to flare, nostrils begin to widen. People begin to breathe very deeply. They begin to get their stuff and leave. People begin to shout, You don't have any right to be here. You get out of this place. This is not where you belong. You know, that's the welcome that Jonah, for his high-handed rebellion against God, should have received in the halls of heaven. What kind of audacity do you have to call on God now? You said no weeks ago. You said no when you bought your ticket, when you went down to Joppa, when you got on the boat. You said no a long time ago. You have high-handed sinned against God. How dare you come to the throne room of the king? You know... If Jonah had come to a throne room, that might have been the response. But where did Jonah direct his prayer? At the temple. At the holy temple. You know, the temple's not a throne room. A temple's a place where sinful man meets a holy God. A temple's a place with a a, a brazen altar. That sits outside for sacrifices for sin to be made. A temple's a place where there is a laver. Where that sins can be cleansed and washed. There is a table of showbread where nourishment is found. There is a lamp where illumination is shown. There is an altar where prayer is given. There is an ark where communion is engaged. There is a mercy seat where redemption is experienced. You don't need a king on the throne. You need a priest. You need a Jesus. You need His blood. Although this theology is not expressly given here, Jonah says, I need blood. I need forgiving blood. There's no way God could forgive me without atoning blood. If you're right with God, you need to realize that you must access the provision. You must come to the cross. You must come to Jesus Christ. Oh, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weary and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus is ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come to Jesus. He is the provision that you need. Last of all, not only who God wants you to recognize, how God wants you to respond, but What God wants us to release. What God wants us to release. Over the relatively few years of ministry, one thing that I have tried to make clear over and over to both sinner and saint is that you cannot go with God and stay where you are. Matthew 6.24 No man can serve two masters. James 4.4 Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't stay where you are and expect to be right with God. If you and I want to be right with God, there are some things that we're going to have to release. Notice first of all, you need to release your path. Look at verse number 8. They that observe lying vanities... Forsake their own mercy. Does anybody think that verse is odd? I I don't know. It almost sounds to me proverbial. Like a proverb. They that observe lying vanities. Forsake their own mercy. The Bible scholars and translators tell us. That the verse speaks of the deception of idolatry. Now, some have suggested that Jonah is alluding to the pagan sailors on the boat. Steeped in their idolatry, they cried out to their pagan gods in their darkness. Or that he's referring to the people of Nineveh, steeped in their own idol gods. But I think Jonah is referring to the greatest idol of them all. He's referring to himself. You see, you can make you an idol. The people that try to live and say there is no God, their God is their own belly. Their God is their own selves. They they worship themselves. They do for themselves. Jonah has been following his heart. He has been worshiping himself rather than his God. Jonah's been doing what Jonah wants to do. Jonah's been doing what Jonah thinks best to do. He's been following Jonah. He's been worshipping Jonah's well-being. He's been worshipping Jonah's self-interest and what Jonah wants. Jonah's been following his own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, my Bible verse I've been trying to learn this past week. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't tell me how I tell you how many times on social media people have said, "Oh, just follow your heart; you'll always be right." You follow your heart, you'll be in the belly of a well or in the depths of hell. Don't follow that ignorant thing, that deceptive thing. He has been doing that, and, and at the expense of God's mercy. Now, I want you to understand something here. God's mercy is in the fact that Jonah's not dead, alright? It can be seen there. But this proverb says, listen to it again, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now I believe this to be the mercy of God. But the word mercy here is the word hesed. It is a word that means the favor of God. The kindnesses of God. Now picture this here. The mercy of God in Jonah's life is that God didn't kill him. Amen. But Jonah is not experiencing the blessednesses of God. He's not experiencing the favor of God in its sense as blessing. In its sense as blessing goodness. Now we may see the belly of a whale as goodness and as mercy. But there's a a big difference between not being killed and experiencing the thrilling blessing of God. Here's what I'm trying to say. Verse number 8 tells us that you can't obey God and follow God and go your own path. If you go your own path you Forgo the blessings, the the delights of God, the the uh, compassions of God, or or we might say the uh, the kindnesses, the favor of God. You can't have it both ways. You can't serve yourself and hope to realize the favor of God. You're going to have to leave the path of self-serving and walk the narrow road of following God. That's what Jonah ends up doing. He ends up being spit out on the beach. And where does he go? To Nineveh. He left the path of what he wanted to do and gave his path to God. You're going to have to let go of your path. Second of all, you're going to have to release your praise. Verse number 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I I have vowed. Notice, he said, I will sacrifice with thee the voice of thanksgiving. What a contrast, verse number 8 to verse number 9. Jonah had been following the lies of personal idolatry. You know what the lies of personal idolatry are? You can sin and get away with it. You, uh, you can sin and get away with it. You don't. You can ignore God and He'll just go away. You can have the last say. But a whale's belly and 20,000 leagues under the sea has changed his mind. Has turned Jonah. He's turned a corner. Now he's singing the praises of God. He is singing the praise of God. God had delivered him. God had saved him. God had redirected his course from the grave to the grace of God. He begins uh, begins a little bloodless sacrificing here. He said, I'll sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Bloodless here. He realized Psalm fifty-one seventeen says the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, Thou would not despise. This fits in that category, <laughs> a broken spirit, a contrite heart. Here's here's Jonah. Give it a sacrifice to God. Hebrews eleven thirteen fifteen. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That fits Jonah right here. God, I praise You. I can see him there, seaweed still hanging off his head, parchment in his hand, a piece of charcoal writing on that parchment, this song of praise. God, you delivered me. God, you saved me. He gave God praise. Oh, the blessings of His name. So many times I've been messed up far from God in my sin and how He came to where I was in the form of a repentance vehicle. It may not have been a whale. It's been a myriad of things since then. And I've changed my mind. I've showed Him and showed He showed me His power and His control. Yes, Jonah. Salvation. Look at verse number 9. Salvation is of the Lord. From sinking sand, He lifted me. With tender hand, He lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light. oh, praise His name, He lifted me. Oh, your praise. You want to get right with God? Unleash your path. You want to get right with God? Release your praise. Finally, you want to get right with God? Release your payment. Release your payment. Notice verse number 9. He said, I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah's now done what the sailors did in the last chapter. you remember what they did? They made sacrifice and they vowed vows. Once again, I do not believe this poem was written in the belly of the whale. I believe it's in retrospect. Jonah is writing this song as a reflection, a memory but I can imagine how it might have gone down in the belly of the whale. Not as poetic as Jonah is giving it here. God help me, glub, glub. You are uh, the only one that can save me, glub, glub. I'll do whatever you want, glub, glub. And from the depths of his being, Jonah meant every word I prayed prayers like Jonah in the back of back of, oh, back of, a car driving down through the Pisgah National Forest with a guy I know who's drunk off his rocker. I'm in the back of the car, can't even hold my head up, saying, oh God, if you'll get me back to campus and get me in my bed safe and sound and not falling off this mountain, God, I will change my way. Didn't do anything. Next Saturday night I was in the same predicament. Time and time again. Oh God if you'll get me through this situation. If you'll get me through this mess. Oh God I'll straight and narrow. I'll stop doing that. I'll quit this. God if you'll just, if you'll just get me through this. I... And I never kept the vow. But here. If you want to get right with God. When you say it. You keep your vow. Jonah kept his vow. Straightest line in the Bible was from the beach where the where the where the the, the, uh, the fish puked up Jonah and the city gates of Nineveh. Kept his vow. Kept his vow. Don't think don't think that God doesn't know your heart, know whether you're serious or not. He knows what you what you what you actually mean when you say the things you say to Him. I know on March the 20th, 1994, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. I prayed a lot of prayers behind them, but that night I meant it. Oh God, would you save me? I give you my life. It's yours, God. I mean it, God. It's yours. Listen, why don't you get honest with God today and do His will for your life? There's hope for you. There's hope for you. A while back I read about this man named Leonard Joyner. He served 15 years in prison from selling crack cocaine. He was released from prison and said something that many other convicts have said. Going to prison saved my life. Verse number 10 says that the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish puked out Jonah on dry land. He's alive. He made it through. Going down to the depths of the sea cannot be a wonderful experience for anyone to write home about. But one thing is true. It was the experience that the Lord used to save Jonah from Himself. It was through this experience that Jonah got right with God. Jonah could say with the psalmist, It was good. It was good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. You may be here this morning and God has put you through everything short of killing you to bring you to the point of realization for you to see Him. For you to see who you are, where you are. For you to reach out to Him and for you to get right with Him. Get right with God today. The finger is pointed at every one of us this morning. Get right with God. Realize what God wants you to recognize. To see His hand. To see His heart. Realize what God wants you to respond. He wants you not just to sit there like a knot on a log. Whether you do it at an altar. Whether you do it at your pew. Respond to God's Word. He wants you to release. If you're going to get right with God, you've got to let things go. You got to let go of your, your, what you want. And God say, Not my way, but thine be done. You got to let go of your praise. Oh God, I will praise you. I will give you honor. I will give you glory for what you've done. I finally get it. I finally recognize it. I don't know what it was about March the 20th, 1994. I've been in church all my life. Heard some of the greatest preachers you, you could ever know. And yet the light went on that night. this is your doing. It's what you've done. You've done this. You've brought me here. You've delivered me. You've kept me alive. I put my trust in Him. Will you keep your vow? There's been many of us that have made promises to God we've never kept. Revival meetings in different times in this building. I myself, same thing is true. We're to keep our vows, keep our promises to God. God, I promise I do this and I'll do it. I'll follow you. Let's all stand to our feet. Will you get right with God today? If you're crossways for God, I know everybody's here right with God. You're, you're alright and everything. The only one I'm preaching to this morning is me. And I understand that. But listen. Maybe you could just, will not you just take this up, and fold it in your back pocket and put it away. Okay? Because you're going to need it one way or the other. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And I pray that you would bless your word as it goes out. Speak to hearts. God, save sinners. Father, I pray that people come to a realization of who they are, how far they are from God. How that it's of God's mercy that they're not dead. And how, God, You're willing to save them if they'll call upon You. And I pray they would call upon You. I pray, I pray no matter how deep they're steeped in their sin, God, they'd let go of that path. God, they would release unto You the praise deserving Your name. They would cherish You and love You. And God, they would... They'd keep their promises to, uh, to, to, to follow you, to walk in your ways, to walk in your path. Father, bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm trusting to the unseen high. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home the unseen hand.